thankfully my voice is in okay condition. Yeah, I was, I was going to say before, you, you sound like you're in a lot better form today. Oh, it would have been rough if I had to record yesterday. <laughs> Raspy jazz singer's voice. <laughs> Hi, welcome. <laughs> it's a well, that would have given it a certain vibe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a pack a day of camel. <laughs> Welcome to GCP Life, episode number 57, for Friday, the 2nd of February, 2024. GCP Life is sponsored by Mantle Group. At Mantle Group, we make your Google Cloud solutions possible. And I'm your host, Stephen Bancroft. On today's show, we take a look at some new Google Cloud database features for 2024. Google Cloud's financial reporting is stronger than expected. We follow up on several recent security breaches, plus... AI seems to be all about partnerships in the AI wars. But before we get to any of that, I want to introduce the co-host of the show, Ian Brown. How are you, Ian? I'm good, Banky. How are you, buddy? Good, mate. Good, 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 good. Um, yeah, we, we were just having a little chat there just before we went to air. Um, and we were talking about this yesterday, too. Mm. Um, this, this has been my tech adventure in the last little bit. Um, just to cut straight to the chase, because you know we're not about dilly dallying around <laughs> here in GCP. <laughs> like, dilly dally cut dally on this show, no, dilly dally. <laughs> um, I've been, I've been because of all the breaches and things, and that um, the uh, is it the NZI, NZI API uh, breach, seventy billion accounts. I've got yeah. a little bit that that one actually scared the pants off me. I, I got a message from Have I been pwned? And sure enough, I'm in that in that list. Um. So I've gone in and uh, purchased myself a, uh, a premium account for Bitwarden. Uh, we did have a discussion about this, mainly because I wanted to run the password reporting tool. Yep. Uh, now, LastPass used to, well, LastPass did have a feature to do this, um, but I haven't used LastPass for a while, and I think we all know why. No one uses <laughs> LastPass anymore. Uh, but yes, uh, and uh, immediately came up with, uh, I think I sent you a screenshot there, 87, 87 uh, reused or compromised um, user credentials. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, I've gone about cleaning up that. Uh, well, I've, got it down, I've got it down to about 40-something now. And um, interestingly, because mm. I use I use Bitwarden and have done for mm. years now, uh, I, I ran the same report, and my wife is very very naughty. She reuses the same password over and over and over again. Yep. And yep. Uh, and so yeah, we're and I uh, I gave her a bit of a bollocking last night about that. Yeah, that's that's got to be the big number one no no right? Don't reuse pass the same password everywhere because if that site gets compromised and that credential pair is out in the open, then of course they'll try that against numerous other sites and yeah. they might get a hit one day. Yeah, that's right. And let's let's face it, it's not a if that site gets compromised, it's a when. It's a when, yeah. yeah. Just assume whenever you I, I make the assumption now, whenever you put a username and password in or any personal detail for that matter as well, uh, just assume that data is exposed already. Yep. That's the safest bet. Yeah. Um, and for that reason, I think I've talked about this on the show before, I try to make a point of not putting my birthday into anything. No, um, no, I have a re- – so the only the only place that I have to put my birthday in, obviously, is government sites, but all the other sites yep. that I put a birth date in, um, that, that birth date is not my birthday. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. If you're forced to put it in, put in some bogus date because yep. the birth date is like the keys to the city. Yep. If they can match the birth date and the name together, then they've got your identity. Yep. More or less. That's right. Um, so, yeah, I, I went through this process. Oh, while, while you're in this process, I recommend if you have to go in and change your PayPal password, I didn't. Thankfully, my PayPal password was a, diff, a unique password, and you've got multi-factor on PayPal anyway. Mm. Uh, but I had to go in there for another reason. Just go in and check who your um, authorised payees are in PayPal or pay, because you'll be surprised how many you've got in there, how many people can just dip in and take money out of your PayPal account. Yep. Uh, you can go in, oh, for, for, for whatever reason, Domino's Pizza had like 15 entries in there. So <laughs> <laughs> quickly go and delete all of those. Eat a bit so, of pizza, so, mate. <laughs> yeah. oh, well, I, um, I don't mind a bit of pizza. Um, um, other things I hadn't used, like Bluehost hosting, I haven't used them in years. Get rid yep. of them. You know, it, I had to clean all that out. Got it down to like five things. Yeah. So um, I feel much better that and, way. It's and a the, little... the, I suppose the best part about um, moving over to Bitwarden is you, you can enable anything that does have two-factor auth. You can enable that, and then you can put that two-factor auth into Bitwarden itself. So nice. the 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 one the one-time authentication token is there for you to just grab out. It won't fill it in for you automatically. You actually literally have to go in there, you go, jump on the mobile app, you pull it up, and you you pull out the token and paste it in. Right. Yeah, I haven't uh, I haven't implemented that as yet, uh, but it sounds pretty straightforward to do. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I went around the process of setting up um, some folders and uh, we've got the organisation there for our family, so we've got collections. You know, I created collections of all our streaming services because, you know, the yep. kids, I don't mind the kids having the passwords for that. They've got to log in on devices and stuff so they can see those passwords, but only my wife and I can change them. So hmm. that's uh, it's good that way that way you can set up the collections to do that sort of thing. Yeah, the one, the one that I suppose you've got to be aware of is is if your kids decide that they might share that password with a mate. I um yeah, that, okay. <laughs> that that's happened and I saw a rando device connect up to our Netflix account so I just went, "Oh, that's odd. My son's at school." So, it won't be any of his devices and it certainly wasn't my wife because she'll only watch it on a tablet or on the TV. Mm. And it certainly wasn't me because I was working, so I just went, eh, right, jump in a jump into Netflix, log out all devices. Yeah. <laughs> Change the password, reset it. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well you do get notification when you get a random random login like that. So yep. I guess it's probably good to be on top of it if it does happen. Yeah. Uh, no, I haven't had that problem yet. Oh, that's um, good. But uh, yeah, it's certainly going to make uh, our password management a lot simpler because uh, at the moment I manage my wife's password and that's in a uh, a note in my note-taking app. Naughty. Which is which is extremely naughty. Naughty. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it uh, saves a lot of headaches when she comes to me and says, oh, I don't know how to log into blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. definitely. So that's well, me, my little... You got you got anything else you've been the doing? Ian? Tech Tech Adventures, mate. No, we uh, no. we had to do the old school signing a paper mortgage documents today. Oh, um, because SunCorp doesn't do electronic documents. Uh, oh. I, I don't know why, but uh, oh. SunCorp they they literally send you an A4 envelope with all of your mortgage documents and paperwork in it, as opposed to sending it to you electronically. And then you've got to go to a JP to have it witnessed. Oh. So that was uh, that was the fun. For this morning, 
Yeah. Well, with with my recent uh, property purchase, it was all electronic mm. uh, except for certainly everything with the solicitor was electronic. Absolutely. Uh, there was one mortgage discharge form that I had to do, which we had to sign. So, um, yep. yeah, it wasn't wasn't a too bad an experience. Yeah, the mortgage discharge was the same here. It was a paper doc um, that we had to sign and put in the envelope and return back to Suncorp. But but the entire mortgage itself, like the mortgage contract, was was paper and it was like thirty pages thick. It was printed single sided, <laughs> A four. I was just like, what? Why did you print this? Like, at least double-sided. <laughs> no, you have the amount of paper you're using, people. Come on. What happened to the old paperless office, Ian? The paperless office. Mate, paperless you office know. don't <laughs> exist. <laughs> Paper's used for uh, for making paper planes these days. That's it. <laughs> All right. Let's uh, get on with the show, eh? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, just quickly before we get on with the main items for the show, we've got a couple of uh, quick ones here. Uh, US proposed know your customer requirements for cloud providers. Yeah, this one's this is interesting. So the US is really sort of taking it to China with this. Uh, the US Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo has said, uh, and I quote, we can't have the non-state actors or China or folks we don't <laughs> want accessing our cloud to train their models. Um, no, nope, we can't have them in there <laughs> training our models. <laughs> um, so, they, I mean, they, they already have export controls on chips. Um, on the hardware, yeah. yeah so on, why not have it on the data as well? Yeah, so yeah. they're looking to implement that immediately. Um, so what they're going to do is begin the process of requiring US cloud companies. So read into that as pretty much all of them. Yeah. Um, to tell every... Uh, to tell the government every time a non-US entity uses their cloud to train a language model. Right. So, yeah, so you can yeah. look at that and go, rightio, well, Oracle's one of those, IBM will be one of those, and then you've got the big three players, your mm-hmm. Amazon, Microsoft, mm-hmm. to Google. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they will all be under that little banner. Mm-hmm. Um. So, yeah, it's, it's very specific, isn't it? It's a uh, non-US entity training language models. Yep. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Or China. <laughs> or, or <laughs> they, China. She explicitly calls it out. <laughs> or China. <laughs> yeah, so uh, that'll be interesting to see how that pans out. Now, the other one that's caught our attention just right before the show, um, Australia-US Cloud Act deals comes into force. Now, this uh, appears to be an agreement between uh, Australia and the US to uh, facilitate uh, data data sharing between the, the two uh, law enforcement jurisdictions um, uh, for the case of uh, addressing serious crimes. Yeah, so this is this is enabling the US and Australia to um, collaborate on data held by tech companies in both mm. countries um, to aid in uh, the US and Australia agencies preventing, detecting and investigating and also prosecuting serious crime mm-hmm. um, and safeguarding the national security of the two countries. Yeah. So that, that's pretty uh, – that's a pretty bold move. Um, it's it's uh, in Australia. Wow. Well, it's, it's, well, it is sort of because it's one of those things that you, no country is allowed to spy on its own people and you can't sort of mandate the release of – of information from companies in Australia, uh, but now you can. Well, 
It does say, so it's part of the Telecommunications Inception uh, Access Act of 1979 and uh, in North America it's part of the Clarifying Lawful Overseas Use of Data, which I love that acronym because the acronym is CLOUD, right? Um, And uh, I would assume that uh, it would be like any other search warrant or, or enter and search thing. They would have to have... Uh, you know, some sort of evidence of criminal activity um, before they sort of engage in sort of scooping up or, or doing a search, right? Conducting a search of, of, well, of data or requesting the data. Potentially. So right. you remember when because, the, the telecommunications metadata changes came in probably five yeah. years ago now, maybe a bit longer. Mm. Um, that didn't require a specific um, search warrant, I suppose you could call it, to access yeah. that data. It was just, it was a free-for-all. Now I think that's changed since it was first um, put into place, but originally it was it was a free for all. So any law enforcement agency, whether it's state or federal, can mm. just jump in and have a look at who you phoned and and how long you've been on the phone to and for and all this sort of stuff. Mm. But both those telecommunic- telecommunication acts that I mentioned uh, do have stringent privacy and oversight protections built into them. Mm. So I, I, yeah, I. I I'm hoping, uh, look, you know, it, it, it may not be the case, but uh, I tend to, you know, err on the side of, you know, these things being for the better good. Yeah. Um, I, I, I would assume that, uh, you know, it would only be enacted in the case of, you know, they've got sort of evidence that, that criminal um, crimes exist. Yeah, that's right. And look, only time will tell, but I certainly, yep. I certainly hope that's the case as well. Yep. We uh we could go and dig into this a little bit and find out a bit more about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Well, they were our two quickies, but uh, let's get on with um, some new features. Um, Google Cloud Database uh, enhancements to Google Cloud Database uh, for January twenty twenty four. Google's announced a bunch of new features to uh, some of their database uh, offerings. Yeah, they have this, and it covers pretty much all of them. So, yeah, and there's lots and lots of changes for pretty much every database service out there. But I sort of picked my favourite ones out of each mm. um, that I wanted to cover. So, for AlloyDB for Postgres, uh, it now AlloyDB now supports 65 terabytes of storage per cluster in certain regions. Australia Southeast is not one of those regions. Yeah, <laughs> which is a soon big, you hope soon, it's soon. a big fat boo from me. But anyway, <laughs> not that we really have a need for sixty-four terabytes. But anyway, uh, Terraform support for AlloyDB is now GA, so you can Terraform AlloyDB away. Uh, AlloyDB Omni, so that's AlloyDB's downloadable edition that runs anywhere, is now GA, which is a fantastic uh, progression, and it's also updated to Postgres version fifteen point four. So you can now target that version as well. Uh, Cloud SQL has launched Cloud SQL Enterprise Plus Edition for for MySQL and Postgres, uh, and that is an edition that gives you faster read and write speeds and a cre- increased availability and enhanced data protection. Uh, data cache is an option. And you Oops. you can upgrade to that from the standard. Yes, you can, you can upgrade. upgrade, and you can you can downgrade like with no impact. Well, other than the performance, but yeah, yeah, easily. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, they've put data cache into Cloud SQL Enterprise Edition as well. So that gives you uh, data pages on high-speed local SSDs. Uh, and Private Services Connect is now GA for Cloud SQL, MySQL, and Postgres. That gives you the ability to 
um, jump into Cloud SQL from multiple VPC networks that belong to different groups and teams and projects and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, really, really big one, Memory Store for Redis. So Memory Store for Redis is a new managed service offering for uh, a Redis cluster that is fully open source software compatible. So it is the open source Redis cluster that is running on Google's infrastructure. Um, so that's a really big one and one I that think, I'm actually think, using on this project. I think we've reported on that one before we have, in the show. But yeah, it's now, yeah, it's it's now yeah, it's now GA. It's now GA, yep. 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 Uh, and uh, Spanner is the second last one that I've I picked out was um, Spanner is now providing 50% increase in throughput and two and a half times the storage per node with no price change, which is, that's a huge increase. Mm, mm. Uh, they now support managed autoscaler for the compute capacity. Uh, so that's in that's in preview currently, and data catalog support in Cloud Spanner is now GA. And then the last one I had was File Store. So File Store Enterprise Enterprise Edition now supports point in time recovery and scheduled backups, which is which is huge because you know backing up an NFS volume is is something that you've got to do in case someone does something dumb. Um, so point in time recoveries is is fantastic. That's a fantastic feature. Mm, mm, mm. Uh, there are also a bunch of updates to Bigtable uh, and the database migration service as well. Mm. Um, so you can go and look at the blog article. A, a lot of those um, that's a lot of those were um, already available, or they've gone GA, or they were recently gone GA. Uh, but this blog article sums them all up in one nice little spot. Yeah. Very good. Uh, let's move on to a bit of financial news. Uh, Google Cloud, stronger than expected in quarter four, $36 billion annual revenue. Yeah, this is amazing. I yeah, love it. This is good news. Yeah, so, they've, uh, so they delivered a fourth quarter operating income of $864 million on revenue of $9.2 billion, which is up from $7.3 billion a year ago. So that's a, that's a huge jump. That's almost $2 billion in revenue. Mm. Um, and but, Google, but the kicker, the kicker was Wall Street was only expecting eight point nine billion. Four, yeah, that's right. Mm. Yeah, so they've they've really kicked that out of the park. Uh, and Alphabet, the parent company of Google, reported a fourth quarter net income of twenty point six nine billion, uh, up from thirteen percent from a year ago. Yeah, wow. Google Cloud uh, going strong. I reckon that's AI is is bolstering a lot of that. Could be. Um, they did shed some staff, though. It went from 182,000 down to 190,000. Um, sorry, down to 182,000 down from 190,000. Yep. Um, and uh, they're saying um, uh, that part of it was, uh, if you look further down the article, uh, subscription revenue for Google Cloud reached 15 billion primarily due to YouTube premium and music. So that was part of the driver behind it. Oh, and so Sunday Picture has, has, say, has said, sorry, uh, Vertex AI has seen strong adoption with the API requests increasing from six times for the first half of the second year. So that's Duet AI boosting productivity, which is fantastic. Right, and this is we're just at the, the tip of the iceberg of this, right? This is... I mean, it's only ways up from here, right, to quote a song. But uh, <laughs> we're just beginning on this journey. Yep. All right, well, that's all good news. Um, I didn't really see any negative articles around that particular item. So, yeah, I mean, I guess 
typically we see uh, an article come out that summarizes all the clouds and what their Q4 earnings were. So uh, if we get something like that, it'll be good. We'll sit down and, and have a bit of a comparison between the three. Yeah. As we've done in the past. All right, moving on. Um, a bit of a security one. And Ian, I'll let you take this one because it's all about GKE. Uh, and uh, a flaw that was found in uh, GKE clusters called the CIS All Loophole. Um, I had a bit of a look at this. Uh, can you tell us what it's all about? Yeah, sure. So uh, this this exploit was discovered by a research firm called Orca, and uh, the they've discovered a loophole uh, that that is a misconfiguration in the way Kubernetes is configured. Um, not deliberately, it's not out of the box with GKE. It's, a, it's actually something that someone has to do. Uh, so the loophole um, stems from a, wide, a likely widespread misconception that the system authenticated group in GKE o- uh, includes only verified and deterministic identities, whereas in fact it includes any Google authenticated account, including Gmail accounts. Right. So... So in order to so, exploit this, all you need to find is a Kubernetes cluster that has the vulnerability and your Gmail account. So um, the misconfiguration can lead to the exposure of various uh, various bits and pieces because you get access to the API in Kubernetes. Uh, you can see JWT tokens. Um, you can see API keys, AWS keys, and Google OAuth credentials. And the actual uh, the Orca security blog, which uh, which we'll link, uh, actually shows how they exploited Kubernetes clusters. So it's not not uh, not difficult to do. It's just finding the cluster and then getting access to it, and you can start querying it for all sorts of information. <laughs> and they go deep. They in that article. they do. This it's a really <laughs> so for those who aren't technically minded, don't read this article because it'll confuse yeah. you. Um, yeah. It is fairly fairly technical. Uh, the bright side of this is that uh, Google, in the GKE versions 1.28 and up, this is blocked. So you cannot bind the system authenticated group to the cluster admin role. So at the moment, uh, I just checked a couple of clusters that I manage and 1.28 isn't available for me on the, on the regular release channel just yet. Uh, but it is on its way out. I can do it manually via the command line. So I definitely will be updating them in the very near future. All right, so update your clusters, people. Um, I guess, Ian, just uh, your explanation of that there, it sounds more like uh, being a misconception that it's just a a misconfiguration in in one way or another. Yeah, Uh, it is. Yeah. It's it's like uh, if if you're putting in, let's say, the Let's Encrypt, um, certificate issuer into a GKE cluster uh, that requires a cluster admin role. Now, if you bind that to uh, system authenticated, so you, any authenticated user can use it. That literally means that any authenticated user can become a cluster admin via the API on your cluster. Mm. So I can log in with my Gmail account. I can use my OAuth token from Gmail, and I can get access to your cluster, and I can read out all of your secrets. Nasty stuff. Anyway, go take a look at the blog if you want to find out how that works. I'll link that in the show notes. Yeah, they go deep and uh, you can have all sorts of fun with that. 
All right, moving on to some other security news. We've got uh, Australia names uh, the Medibank hacker, the Russian Medibank hacker. And it's the first use of Magnitsky style. Help me out with that one. Eh? Magnitsky, <laughs> the Magnitsky, Magnitsky style, style regime yeah. uh, to apply sanctions against an individual. Yeah, it is. So, so for those who don't know, the, the Magnitsky Act was a US act that was passed in 2016 in response to the death of a Russian accountant, Sergei Magnitsky who in 2009 was tortured, denied medical attention and found dead in his Moscow jail cell. So the Russian authorities had been targeting him for exposing a giant tax fraud scheme allegedly involving high-level government officials. So that's where the scheme comes from. Uh, And, yeah, so they've... uh, The Australian government has named and sanctioned this uh, Russian citizen, Alexander Ermakov, over his, uh, and at this stage, alleged involvement in the MediBank cyber attack. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what that sanction means for, for, for those who don't want to get really deep in the law is it makes it a criminal offence punishable by up to 10 years imprisonment and heavy fines to provide assets to Alexander uh, Ermakov or to use or deal with his assets, including through cryptocurrency wallets or ransomware payments. So aiding him in any way, shape or form will land you in jail. Yep, um, and he is not allowed to travel to this country, or I'm assuming he won't be allowed to travel to the US either because he's had that sanction against him. Yeah, so that 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 Magnitsky uh, uh, ruling covers both the US and Australia, right? That's it. Yeah, so just to go over, in 2022, uh, attack against Medibank resulted in a theft of 9.7 million records uh, and cost the insurer 46.4 million. Yeah. In in 2022 to 23 financial year alone, yeah, and we covered that quite extensively too. Yep. It was uh, it was a huge huge hack. And then uh, following on from from that, uh, another follow up uh, on the Optus outage. Oh. Uh, Optus finds two hundred two thousand six hundred ninety seven triple zero calls failed in mobile outage. So. At first, they'd only reported that 228 calls had failed, but later they've come back and they fessed up and they said, no, no, there's an additional 2,468. And, and I'm, I'm 99.9% sure that when you and I first read that, oh, it's only 228 calls, we're like, no, nah, that's not right. There's no, no way. way. There's no <laughs> way. There's no way. And as it turns out, we were right. It's over 11 <laughs> times that. Yeah. Now, look, what surprises me all about this, and I can't recall if I discussed this in previous episode or not, but I'm going to say it again anyway. You know, I worked for Telstra for a long time, and you'd go into a Telstra exchange, and uh, there'd be a triple zero rack. Mm-hmm. There'd be a rack at the end of the suite, usually, and it'd be all locked up, and there'd be a big sign on it that says, triple zero, do not touch. Yep. Uh, it's coloured like yellow or something. Yep. It's got, you know, special cabling coming into it. It's also fenced off from all the other cabling. It is completely dedicated and separate infrastructure to the regular phone network. And and they do that on their mobile network too, don't they? They've got separate repeat, uh, separate transmitters or something that that handle the triple zero. On their towers? Oh, it's, 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 it's like that all the way through, top mm. to bottom. It's a completely separate So it's like thing. a duplication of the network, essentially. Yeah, yeah, to make sure those triple zero calls get through. Yeah. Um, 
Now, what we saw in the Optus outage is that's clearly not the case because their triple zero calls were being routed through where the rest of the BGP, where the rest of the external traffic was going through, along with all the other VoIP calls. Yep. Yeah, that's it. So, look, they've they they have said that they're working with the the government, uh, and. Uh, their, their continued cooperation with the ongoing investigations by the government, the Senate, and the ACMA into the outage, so that they can become yep. better in future. Yeah, yeah. Now this next one, I don't know if this is funny or sad or what, but Melbourne man pleads guilty to buying stolen data on Genesis Market. Yeah, look, yeah. <laughs> and, and he's not the only one, right? There was um, in December last year. 25-year-old Brisbane man was also sentenced for buying data off the Genesis market. Um, but, look, I, I'm... Look, criminals will do stupid things, um, and that's just yep. part and parcel of being a criminal. Uh, but the Genesis market, I, and I didn't know this until I was reading this article, the Genesis market offered access to more than 1.5 million compromised computers at the time that, the, uh, that it was seized. So it was seized... Uh, there was a multinational law enforcement coalition that took over the dot onion domain. Yeah. And they, they completely took it offline. So it, that's huge. I, I wasn't aware it was anywhere near that big. Mm. Mm. I, I just love what they called the crackdown on it, though. <laughs> Operation Cookie, Cookie Monster. Monster. <laughs> <laughs> Led by the F- FBI with assistance of AFP. Yep. New South Wales Police Force, uh, Victoria Police, Queensland Police, and Western Australian Police. South Australia, yeah. Tasmania, and Northern Territory didn't do anything. <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, I mean, I mean, this guy—he he got six hundred and fifty compromised credentials. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's. I mean, he got. Uh, look, he, 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 it's a drop in the ocean. He, they're, they're making him do one hundred and fifty hours of community work. Um, he didn't do anything with the data, apparently. But it's six hundred and fifty compared to the last uh, was it NZI that API where my accounts my credentials appear is that seventy billion? Yeah, <laughs> look, but the thing is that if you're buying credentials off the dark web like that, you're intending to use them. You're not buying them just just for um, oh yeah for giggles. You want re- you want return on investment for yeah, sure. That's right. So yeah. I mean, he's not buying them for no reason. He's buying them to use them. So I think 150 hours of community service is nowhere near enough of a deterrent mm, mm. Uh, for criminals like that. Because what happens to those poor 150 people that he's got the credentials of? Well, they've got to run a password report tool now and go and change all their passwords. That's right. Yeah, yeah. As we all should be doing. That's it. <laughs> all right. Look, that's enough of the security news. You want to get on with the AI wars? Uh, Google just settled out of court. Uh, TPUs, apparently, uh, you pay in a bit of money and the problem goes away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is this is the one that we covered last last fortnight with the uh, the founder of Singular Computing. Uh, so he was he was suing Google, and then Google have settled out of court uh, for an undisclosed sum of money, as is always the mm-hmm. case when people settle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Google hasn't made any statement to suggest wrongdoing on its part, as you would expect, because admitting that they've done something wrong would land them back in court. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
the facts are Singular Computing has the advantage. Um, after the filing, Bates, who is the, the founder of Singular Computing, and I, and I put this in air quote, prayed for the court to allow a jury trial and award damages. So they he was... Which it could have been, the cost could have been a lot more to Google if oh, it went down that huge. path. So right? they're, they're talking yeah. in the realm of 1.6 to 5.19 billion, with a B, US dollars. Mm. So Google's evidently not spent that much money on the settlement because that would be ludicrous. Uh, Google denied knowledge of Bates's three relevant patents, um, and and they were quoted as saying, we looked forward to settling the record straight in court. But they bowed out at the last minute and just went, oh, we'll give you some money to go away. Mm-hmm. Uh, now... No, they, would have, they would have sat down and had a look at it, and, I mean, he's... He, they wouldn't have paid it if they didn't think he clearly had a, some sort of claim. That's right. Right? That's right. I mean, the, uh, there was a there was an internal memo or, or um, some sort of a, a message that went around internally that was saying about how good the, the, the architecture design that Singular Computing has would be for Google's AI chips. Um, now, whether that was used or not in Google's AI is still um, completely unknown. Up in the air, yeah. Uh, but but certainly, uh, settling out of court means that Google knows that if they went into court, they would very likely lose. Yep. Um, um, so Google spokesperson Jose Castaneda, I apologise if I've um, brutalised his name. Uh, he stayed fairly tight-lipped. He just said, "We have always taken our disclosure obligations seriously, and will continue to do so." which is a very well-crafted sentence designed to mean whatever you want it to. <laughs> it's a politically correct answer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> there is a correct answer, and then there's a politically correct answer. <laughs> yeah, just to refresh your memory on what the particular case was, uh, Google denied knowledge of Bates's three relevant US patents. So Bates had three patents in uh, for the technology, which allows for many low-precision calculations per processor cycle. So that's uh, Google's got a technology that does that, and around the same time, Bates developed the technology, and that's what the whole claim is. Bates yep. uh, says, "Well, you've infringed my my patents," which uh, he has registered with the patents office, and uh, yeah, that's that's where that's how this has come about. Yeah, so it was a it was a senior Google scientist uh, by the name of Jeff Dean who who said in an internal email uh, that. Uh, singular computing's inventions were really well suited for Google workloads. So that's where that whole thing has stemmed from. Last fortnight when we were talking about this, um, I'm pretty sure I read that uh, that that same Google scientist, that Jeff Dean, um, did actually see the architecture of uh, the singular computing um, chips. So he has pot- potentially, but... It doesn't mean that the rest of the architecture team within Google has, and it doesn't mean that he has any any ability to influence the architecture there. So, yeah, look, I, there's so much that isn't known here. It's all just speculation. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's Google maintains that they haven't seen it, but yeah, you, yeah, you don't. Yeah, know. so a couple of people within Google might have, but that doesn't mean that they've used it or they have any influence on on people who are designing the chips. Yeah. All right, let's move on. Uh, Luminaire, Google 
Google Zoom now brings AI video closer. Oh, this is amazing. To real than human. Now, I sent you a little video. Oh, my um, goodness. That, that was insane. <laughs> like, take now, a photo uh, and then get Google's AI to turn it into a video with movement. Yeah, yeah. If you've not seen what Luminaire is capable of, you need to go and have a look uh, at the the demo video of Luminaire. Uh, also, I'll link in I'll link another video from uh, a YouTuber that I like, uh, Two Minute Papers. He's been, yeah, he's been uh, a stalwart uh, and following the progress of AI for a long, long, long time. And he's kind of become a bit of a meme, actually. <laughs> he's, he's, he's quite good. Hold on to your papers. What a time to be alive. He's great. <laughs> uh, Incidentally, yeah, his he, video isn't two minutes long. It's more like seven yeah, and a half. Yeah, it's always, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but he he does a great breakdown on what Luminaire can do, what its capabilities are. But yeah, as you say, Ian, things like you can take a a still image uh, and and then add, combine it with a prompt, and then it'll sort of mash the two together and make a video out of it. Yeah, there was one there that that really took my eye it was was a photo of a like a geyser in a park, or maybe it was a water fountain or something firing water into the air. It was just a photo. And you mm. throw it into Luminaire and it, all of a sudden it, it creates this video of you sort of panning past this this fountain or this spurt of water and the water is starting yeah. to flow. And like, what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, also, the video of the dog running through the leaves. Mm. Now, uh, I guess Luminaire's closest competitor at this point is called Runway. Um, and uh, boy, oh boy, Luminaire knocks it out of the park. Oh, yeah. The the, the, the dog video is shown there, it, it, it is running through the leaves, whereas the runway one, the dog's kind of just floating across the top of the leaves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I, I, I do have to laugh, though. So uh, the, the article that we're looking at here from The Verge says, Google's new video generation AI model Luminaire uses a new diffusion model called Spacetime Unit or StuNet. Which just yep. reminded me, as soon as I saw that, of Stuxnet. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's how old I am. That's how old you are, yep, yep. Uh, except this one's not designed to hack nuclear reactors. No. You know, this, there is that. Yeah, thankfully. Uh, <laughs> thankfully. But um, this is amazing. Like, I, I, I don't know where this is available yet. It's, it's, not, it's not available to anyone at the moment, is it? This is just demo stuff. Um, well, it doesn't say that it's not available. But then it doesn't say that it is. That's right, yeah. No, I think I saw, I read somewhere else that's saying it's not, not available yet. But um, the the quality of the video is astounding. And like the weird artifacts that you would normally see in this kind of thing, like hands and, you know, scrunched up faces and that, that doesn't seem to have any of that. No. Um, it, it, just, it just looks like video. I mean, it looks like computer rendered video it's got that sort of quality to it but if you weren't looking for it then you may not detect that it's well what was that other one generated. that we saw so that other one that was in that two minute uh pavers video was it was like a teddy bear or something and it was it was like standing up on a concrete footpath or something and then luminaire has turned that into shiny concrete and the teddy bear's walking along it um, so it's gone from a still photo to now the teddy bear's walking along this footpath or this shiny concrete footpath to then the teddy bear has morphed uh, ice skates on its feet and it's skating along an ice rink. And I'm like, what the? <laughs> Where did this come from? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, and the other big bonus with Luminaire uh, is that it can it generates videos that are longer. Uh, 
Um, so if you want to do people are making completely AI generated movies now, mm-hmm. you can make l- longer cuts uh, and you, you have to do less, um, you know, less editing. Yes. Yeah. Sticking things together. Yeah, so uh, to, to quote the article here, it says, Luminous starts with creating a base frame from the prompt, then it uses StuNet uh, framework to begin approximating where objects within that frame will move to create more frames that will flow into each other, creating the appearance of seamless motion. Luminaire also generates 80 frames compared to 25 frames from stable video diffusion. So it's it's almost four times as long as stable video diffusion. And yep. and the videos that I have seen on it, the ones that you've showed me and the ones that are in this article, they are, they're quite phenomenal. Yeah, uh, all I can say is you've got to go and see it to believe it. Yep. Uh, link will be in the show notes. Uh, your jaw will be on the floor just like mine was. I had to pick it up several times. Yeah, yeah, same here. All right, and to finish up AI Wars for this week, uh, we've got a couple of Google Cloud partnerships that are kicking off. Um, first of all, we've got uh, our friends at Hugging Face, and we've talked about Hugging Face on the show before, um, and uh, they've they've uh, partnered up with Google um, for OpenAI search and collaboration. Yeah. Yeah, um, so... So, Hugging Face and Google Cloud's partnership will allow the companies to share hardware, infrastructure, open data, and open source models, which is uh, which is pretty cool. So, it's, it's Google's getting the benefit of this as well as Hugging Face getting the benefit of Google's infrastructure mm. and TPUs and all that. Um, and one uh, research and analysis company uh, by the name of Global Data forecasts that by 2030, the AI global market will be will be worth more than 900 billion which is a phenomenal number mm. and that's just the the ai market alone that's not all of all of cloud or anything like that that's just the ai market mm. Mm. um there's a and you think of all the, the cloud services that come along with that as well i mean that that's going to be that's going to increase along with it as well right yeah that's right um so the chief executive of hugging face is a, a man by the name of clem Delangu, um, and he says it shows we are moving into a world where there's not just one model, but there are many models as companies, uh, and every company is training, fine-tuning, and optimizing their own models, which is the direction that the field is taking. So they're all, they're all, all purpose-built models, yeah, right? Yeah, that's right. Just like anything else. Yeah. yeah. And Thomas Curian has, has said, Thomas Curian, obviously the CEO of Google Cloud, has said uh, rampaging demand for cloud, cloud-based AI computing suggests that in its current trajectory, it will overtake traditional cloud software market in the future, uh, which is the same as the research company has, has uh, put forward. Um, it always starts infrastructure up because you've first got to put the machines in place to reflect the demand and go from there. Mm. Um, so, yeah, there's revenue-sharing agreement in place there between Hugging Face and Google. Um, obviously, there's no terms have been released to that. But, uh, but yeah, that's an exciting little partnership. Yeah, we'll see what co- goes on there. And, of course, you've got to remember that Google uh, was behind the, the white paper that, that kicked all this off back in 2017 as well, mm. um, discussing the introduction of the Transformer model. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's, uh, you know, uh, having, having them combine join forces now with Hugging Face – uh, Google's going to supply the hardware. Hugging Face is going to supply the skills and, I guess, uh, the the way to build the models. 
what a time to be alive, to quote <laughs> <laughs> one of our favourite YouTubers. Yep. But, it, and, uh, but even more exciting. More exciting, Samsung. Samsung, of all people, and Google Cloud joined forces to bring Gen AI. AI, 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 generative AI, generative AI, generative AI, 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 Samsung Galaxy S24. Now, I've seen ads for this kicking around, right? And, you know, I've got my old, my old uh, Pixel Pro A here, and uh, oh, I had I had a go with the um, the best take as well. That works great. Yep, that's that's really good. You can uh, I won't go into too much detail now, but yeah, you can pick the faces and you can choose which face is going to replace what in the, in the series of photos that you have. Yeah, but uh, that's all done with the TPU in the phone. But uh, with Samsung Galaxy S twenty four, it's leveraging uh, the Gemini Pro and Imaging two on Vertex AI via the cloud in their smart devices. Yeah, so the S24 series will also use Gemini Nano, an on-device LLM delivered as part of the Android 14 operating system, uh, but obviously on Samsung Silicon as opposed to, to Google's. Mm. Uh, now, the, the I suppose the caveat here is that uh, this on the on the S24, this is only starting with Samsung's native applications, so uh, things like Notes and Voice Recorder and stuff. Um, you're not going to get access to it in the... in like all through the environment like you do with a pixel. Uh, but it's still it's still certainly uh, a good sort of leg up for Google to show that their AI models are beating everybody else's. Yeah, I guess what I guess where we're, we're going with this and what would be great to see is some sort of API directly in uh, Android, you know, or, or you know via the via the phone's OS to give developers access to that. Well, yeah, um, that's right. So you can you can go beyond just your notes, voice recorder and keyboard. Well, that's right. Um, so there is an Android Neural Networks API inside of Android already. But does it, does that give you access to uh, Gem, Gemini Pro and Imagen 2? Uh, let me have a look. So I'm just having a quick look at it here on the, on the developer.android.com site. Uh, it says it's an Android C API designed for running computationally, computationally, English Ian, uh, intensive operations for machine learning on Android devices. Uh, it's designed to provide a base level of functionality for higher level machine learning frameworks such as TensorFlow Lite and Cafe 2 uh, that build and train neural networks. Okay. So, uh, what about what about you, Gen AI? Getting started with the Gemini API in Android apps. There is a client SDK out on it on ai.google.dev. Well, there you go. There you go. So we're going to see uh, more and more apps, and I imagine pretty quickly. Yep, very. Well, that's really exciting. Um, Pixel 9, perhaps, will get this. I think I think uh, you, you may end up with TPUs on board and access to this via cloud as well. You may end up with both. Yeah, yeah, well, I, I mean, I'd love to see more stuff using AI to to make our lives a bit easier. Not that we're having overly difficult lives these days anyway. No. <laughs> <laughs> Got to eliminate that noise from your videos that you create. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> uh, cool. All right. Well, uh, if anyone uh, has a Galaxy S24 and is trying that out, why don't you contact the show, gcplife at casna.com.au. That'd be great. 
Um, and then while you're there, uh, why don't you go write a review for the show on iTunes? That'd be good as well, in case you didn't notice it. And we're wrapping up the show right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it does seem that way. <laughs> so smooth. <laughs> the segues are Almost so smooth it. around here. Uh, yeah, so uh, don't forget, uh, yeah, we've got the iTunes there. And the website still exists as well. You can go look us up on that. Um, and don't forget, the sponsor of today's show is Mantle Group. At Mantle Group, we make your Google Cloud solutions possible. Uh, we're going to wrap it up there, Ian. You got anything else to add? Uh, I was just going to say, for those who don't know, the last episode, if you're in Google Podcasts, was right down the bottom of the list. Oh, yeah, I know. Yeah. I had a little snafu with the metadata there. Yeah, thanks, Dave uh, I'm, hope- <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping when I publish this one, it sorts itself out, but... Uh, uh, the RSS feed looks good, so I don't know. Google's going to be crazy. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, we won't have Google Podcasts to worry about for much longer anyway, so don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, guys. That'll be it from us. I'm out of here, and we're out of here. Yep. See you later. See you. Bye. On today's show, we take a look at some new Google Plow Google Plowed. On today's show, we take a look at some new Google Cloud database features for